Hello and welcome to this episode of Simplifying Analytics. Uh, this is Jason. I'll be doing the interview today with uh, our guest, Sean Dodson. Uh, Sean, someone that I knew from from our time when we were at Allstate together. Um, he's someone I've I've always admired. He, he actually was a mentor of sorts when when we were both at Allstate. Um, he he has a great way of thinking about analytics uh, without having to actually go in depth in analytics he he is actually an excel wizard some of the things i've seen from him i'm like i, I have no idea how to do that <laughs> uh but so he yeah, definitely has some technical skills but uh, again another guest that would not claim to be a data scientist uh, but someone who definitely uh knows a lot about data how to use it and i think you'll see through the conversation with sean he's got a lot of really good ideas um and and really has a great data head on his shoulder. So I hope you can find this conversation valuable. Um, again, coming from someone who's not a data scientist or a data analyst, someone who really is a data strategist and a great business person. Enjoy. All right, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for, for agreeing to come on and uh, uh, take this interview. So um, Sean, if you want to kind of start with giving a little introduction to you about yourself, I know you have kind of an interesting background that I've uh, been able to admire from afar before we, we reconnected recently. So um, go ahead and, and kind of give some background on yourself. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to chat today. So, um, of course, our paths crossed in uh, former Allstate. So, um, but taking a step back, I'm a Illinois guy. I went to college locally at um, a Purdue satellite campus. I one of those people I think that uh, doesn't have always the clear answer on what they want to do or what who they want to be in life. Um, I think that resonates with a lot of folks. I'm probably still in that bucket. Um, but from a college standpoint, I, I got a general business degree. Certainly, I've always had interest in business and uh, fortunate outside of uh, college to join Allstate in a rotational program. And so a um, couple of cool aspects of that is just I was able to get broad business experience in different verticals uh, in a short amount of time without leaving a company. And so started with Allstate in technology. Um, it's an old big company. And so it uh, was old technology, but nonetheless, was working in the technology space. I spent about a year there. Um, I moved over to finance, uh, or actually, I apologize. I moved over to sales support in my second year. And so um, distribution or sales uh, in a different lens is, is very important for every business. So getting to understand how our product was sold and distributed uh, was super impactful for me. And then my third year, I moved over to finance and um, no technical experience or education in finance. Um, but I would say by far, that's been one of the most impactful kind of verticals that I've worked in of just understanding the numbers and how a business runs. And um, that really set me up to stay in the finance vertical with Allstate for about four years. So kind of moved through different capacities um, in the finance world. And then uh, my back half a tenure with Allstate, I moved over to the marketing world um, and spent about four years in marketing. Um, and that, Jason, is where our paths crossed. Um, was working more in, I would say, marketing program management and strategy design. Um, but it was still slanted more towards reporting analytics just in the marketing vertical. Um, again, very cool opportunity. I spent about nine years in total with Allstate directly out of college. Um, and then into the COVID window, just kind of hit a burnout point of working for a, a very large corporation. Um, COVID, uh, I think, was, was hard on a lot of folks. And um, for me, I, that, that definitely kicked up some different thoughts in the working world. And so 
Um, fortunate that I uh, put some money away and don't really have a whole lot of dependents besides, you know, keeping my underwear clean and dishes out of the sink. But uh, so I'm pretty flexible in that manner. Um, but did, did a bit of a, a career reset and just uh, traveled for a little bit. Um, and then uh, about a year and a half year ago now, um, through a network of mine, I decided to, to join the distillery that I'm with now and uh, been with Dancing Goat now for about 13 months. It uh, certainly is a career reset, but what I would say is uh, super um, happy that I got the experience at Allstate or any big company because I think there's a reason why those big companies are around and why they're successful. Um, not for everybody, but uh, very happy to have had that experience and kind of built some of that discipline. But yeah, now I'm in the uh, the distillery world, which is quite a bit different. Yeah, definitely. It's I know like the the alcohol spirits kind of realm right now is like really hot. So um, definitely was really interested when we were able to connect and kind of talk about it. So like, what is Dancing Goat Distillery? Um, like kind of what is it? Um, what's unique about it? Yeah, so Dancing Goat, we are located uh, about 20 minutes east of Madison, Wisconsin in a little uh, countryside town. Um, it, uh, it was founded in 2015. Um, and so as you kind of look back the last 10, 15 years, then there's been a huge boom in craft uh, distilleries. I think the latest number that I saw is up over 3,000. Um, and here just in the state of Wisconsin, I think there's up over 60. So um, it is, as you mentioned, a, a, a quickly growing space. Uh, and with that, when you walk into any liquor store or bar, you see the amount of choice that's out there. Um, and there, there's certainly a lot of it. Um, Dancing Goat, again, was founded in 2015. So still fairly young as a company. Um, but the family that uh, owns and operates this has been in the spirits industry for roughly about 70 years. And so um, the grandfather of uh, the family here started on the fuel ethanol side in the 50s with Shell um, and over a game of bridge on a train in 1960s, uh, met a fellow that was running Fleischmann's distillery down in Owensboro, Kentucky. And so that kind of opened the door. He moved over to the beverage ethanol side. Um, he ended up building distilleries around the world in eight different countries um, and was truly renowned in the industry for being a professional uh, engineer in that space. And so that's what kind of started this family in the spirits world. Um, Tom Moss, one of his sons, continued that uh, pathway. Um, he started with Jack Daniels and then spent about 25 years with Jim Beam. Um, so all within the whiskey space and then um, retired in 2009, he uh, started a brand called Ramchata, um, which ended up being a, a global brand. And so from 2009 to basically 2021 uh, is when that brand sold, um, but they ended up selling like 25 million cases all across the world. So extremely, extremely cool story. And then um, one of Tom's sons, Nick, um, has kind of continued that family legacy. And so um, that's what we're doing here. This, uh, this place, it's got a, it's got a ton of history from that family, um, out here in Cambridge. It's a, it's roughly about a 34,000 square foot facility. So it's, it's, it's got a big footprint. Um, there's a lot of big equipment, a lot of big investment. Um, whiskey is very interesting and, you know, what we make this year, um, goes and sits in a barrel for five or six years. And so it's a, it's a very long game. It's highly capital intensive. Um, but it is, it is super, super unique. So, um, what we're about here is, is kind of staying tried and true to some of the, the classic traditions of good um, spirits making, but then also putting some spins on things. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing here at Dancing Goat. Yeah, it's awesome. I know um, 
like some names like that you hear about i know like craft sometimes you have to be in the area or maybe they have to get a little bit bigger to be to be known um but like like you said like the history there is like th those are all names that anyone has has heard about even if they don't um care for whiskey or really uh follow whiskey at all so that, that's really cool um so then kind of now getting into more of the meat of, of what we want to talk about here so usage of data so uh dancing goat um again one of the things when you're using data and analytics you really want to start with the questions like you don't want to just go into a data set and just try and find things that's not going to be an effective way you're not going to can probably uh hit your head against the wall many many times and maybe not find anything so what are some of the, like the questions or, or things that you um, want to be able to try and answer when you're talking about data and analytics within the scope of dancing goat? Yeah, um, I think a couple that come to mind right away. One is on the, the product side. And so understanding um, the inputs and the variables to our equation and um, ultimately how that impacts what goes into a bottle. So I mentioned um, kind of that, that whiskey length of aging. And so there's risk involved in that, you know, so what comes off the still this week, um, we sure as heck want to make sure that it's tasting good five, six years when we dump it out of the barrel. And so that is a key question for us is we need to have a good handle on what are our inputs to our production process that are ultimately going to yield that best product in a bottle. Um, the second one, I think, is more on the sales side. Um, distribution in this space is, is very important, much like any other business. But understanding your customer, understanding your competitor, and ultimately where your product or opportunities are, are probably the, the two biggest questions that I continue to think about is how are we going to make a good quality product? And then where's the market opportunity for us? In, in, in a normal sales like cycle, when your product is a service or even something that you can kind of order, and maybe even with the supply chain challenges, it's a six week window, not a six year window. How do you have to think about some of that differently? And and is data more helpful in those cases than where, hey, what I build today or, or create today, I it it could completely change in five or six years. How do you how do you kind of think about that and and maybe kind of mix some of the data as well as things and trends that that you know are going to be true that maybe wouldn't even show up in data. Yeah, that's a tough question, Jason, because um, I, I think there's always things as you reflect back that you learn, and uh, hopefully those things that you learn inform your process forward. Um, but, but as I think uh, about our business and what some of those key variables are, um, really understanding what's driving a particular factor in that equation, um, but also having the flexibility to understand, hey, if, um, if the world changes and we need to um, you know, for instance, COVID, uh, when COVID came around, our operation actually shut down and we converted all of our stills to produce hand sanitizer. That was a different business equation for us. It wasn't about making money, but it was really about helping folks, um, while we had the opportunity. Um, but that kind of put a different spin on our business. So, um, I think there's always aspects that you're, you're trying to predict out in the future as best as possible. Um, but at the same time, learn from the past and let that inform kind of how you're operating your business. Awesome. Yeah, it's super interesting. Uh, so then going into maybe like how to approach analytics, you need to have the data to be able to um, actually do things with the data. Um, so when you started with the distillery, was the data that, that you needed to answer some of these questions already available or you had to try and work and try and start collecting some of that information? Yeah, um, yes and no. 
Um, and certainly being green to the industry, it's like you, you hit on it right when you started. Like, I think as any business owner, operator, or, or any individual, like honing in on those key questions is, is step one. And so for me, that took a little bit of time um, to really understand what are the key questions in our industry and how do they operate overall. Um, that was step one for me. When it came to the actual data infrastructure that we had, there were things that were being collected um, across our total production process and sales cycle. Um, but what I would say is that it wasn't always approached with uh, an analytics mind frame. And so, you know, a good example would be um, as simple as keying in something with an acronym versus spelling out something. And from my experience on working in finance and at Allstate, those small type of things can impact your, your data sets downstreams and kind of leave you hamstrung to really do any analytics. So part of my early push was consistency of our data and quality of our data. And I would say that's always gonna be something that's of, a, of interest, um, but that's really what I consider like the fodder to, to feed the, the analytics engine. And so I think I was fairly, I was able to, to, to fairly quickly make some changes there and how you structure the team, how you structure some of your processes to make sure that your data inputs are consistent. And, you know, you don't have to be a data scientist, but small things like drop down fields in Excel files for folks, um, they, those make a big difference. Unique identifiers in data sets and keys, those make a big difference. And so it's, uh, it's again, not having like the full technical aptitude but it's really understanding those questions and then understanding how is this data going to need to be structured in order to answer those questions. And then I will enlist the help of someone much smarter like, uh, like you um, that can help, you know, actually model and, and pull some of those answers forward for us. Definitely. Yeah. And instead of smarter, I would use just different skill set. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah, it's, it's awesome. I think one of the, the big things thinking about um, like a small business consulting for, for analytics is are people, people capturing the information that they, that they need? So with, with what was being captured, was a lot of it already kind of just like part of the day-to-day -day business without having to, like you said, have that analytics mindset? It was something they just did because you've always done it or you needed to do it for, for some specific reason. Yeah, um, in aspects, yes. But I think um, going back to those questions, that enabled me to have further conversations with folks to say, okay, if these are the critical factors, can we look back and can we look across our horizon of what we've done and can we answer those? And, and it wasn't always a resounding yes. Um, the other thing was there's a lot of things that get, you know, just scribbled on paper and it's, it's hard to work with that. And some of that is trying to find the middle ground. You know, you can't overcomplicate things. Um, but at the same point, you have to set yourself up for, for success in the future. And so there is some kind of meat in the middle. There's still some things that go on paper, but now part of that process is, well, it needs to go into a consistent form. Um, so it, it really went back to what are those key questions, what are those key variables, and how do we really start to be consistent about getting those in a reportable format? Yeah, I, I love that because I think a lot of the times when people think about data, it's like, oh, well, if I need to go so far back, like I, I can't do anything with it today. And it's like you took that mindset. Well, what do I want to answer today? What can I? And you had some things, it sounds like. But then you also were like, well, how, what, how do we change? What do we need to change to be able to answer in the future? So so that's awesome. So 
being in a, a very regulated industry, I know each industry, um, I'm in pharma now, was in insurance, like it's, everyone claims to be very regulated, but I assume the, <laughs> the spirits industry is also really regulated in, in its own aspects as well. So were there any challenges you've, you've had with collecting the data uh, for that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the booze industry, it's, it's, it's truly fascinating for anybody that gravitates towards like history, art or science. It is such a culmination of all of those things, but you know, like fermentation and distillation, it stems thousands of years back and it, it has like a true, um, it has a true fingerprint on like the culture and tradition, even of the United States. And so that I'm just fascinated by, but um, basically coming out of prohibition, they enacted this, what they call a three-tier distribution system that, that still exists today. Um, and the system basically, us as a supplier, um, provides the product to a wholesaler or a distributor. The distributor then provides the product out to an account. And that account may be uh, a store that you go buy something from, or it may be a place that you go actually consume it like a bar or restaurant. So that three-tier system exists today. Uh, it exists in all 50 states. Um, however, each of the 50 states, uh, they regulate that industry uh, within their own state bubble. So um, with that, the reporting that comes out of each of those states, the reporting that comes out of each of those distributors, it's all different. Some of it's Excel, some of it's PDF, some of it's web-based. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it is absolutely a challenge. Um, and that is an instance where I think it's fairly easy for you know any business person to recognize, hey, this is a challenge. I need to have a way to synthesize this data. And this is a true non-negotiable. I need to have technical resource that can help pull this together. So um, we do enlist uh, a data aggregator service that basically will ingest most of our sales data, um, just as one example. Um, but it, you know, it does present complications. Every month there's, there's QC that needs to happen. Um, because a field or a file may, may change at a distributor level. And it's, it's like a ripple, um, you know, in the whole equation that that kind of flows through. So um, it is a challenge. And uh, it's just something I think that, uh, yeah, it's a good example, like where a technical resource, it's, it's hard to make the case that you don't need it. Um, because as a business person, you, you absolutely need this information. Awesome, definitely. So then, um... A slight follow up on that. So I think you you have a maybe you're not not a data science background, but you, you have more of like that data strategy, like, you know, data is really necessary to that. I guess what would you say to to a seasoned business person who's never had to use data to be successful before in a situation like that, where it's like, gosh, I don't I don't want to spend another 10% um, on top of my expenses to to pay for these technical resources. Yeah, uh, I don't know if cursing is allowed on your podcast or not, but I would say that's BS. Um, and I'd, I'd probably ask a few follow-up questions and I could probably find a time over their business tenure, regardless of when they started, that they use data in some form. They may think about it a bit differently, but um, ultimately ROI is a very tricky question, I think. And that's something certainly that analytics teaches you is it's very easy to make you know, false interpretations of data. Um, and ROI is, is exactly one of those, you know, the, the, the age old thing about like, you know, marketing ROI, it works, but you don't know which half of it works. Like there's all those old, you know, sayings out there. And I think analytics, you probably could put in some of that same sense. So you do, I think, have to apply some general 
just business acumen to this being uh, a necessary investment in your business, much like you pay an accountant, much like you pay a legal um, attorney that has that expertise. I view this more as a must have in the business. Um, certainly when it comes time for, you know, like higher level investment data subscriptions, I tend to point back to um, what type of question or decision is this impacting and, and of what magnitude is that? You know, if this is uh, an instance where it's going to impact, you know, a certain production process that we're either going to start making a new product, we're going to purchase new equipment, we're going to enter into a new market. I think it's very easy to kind of size up what that level of investment is and is your comfort or confidence in making that decision, is it worth investing in a data subscription or someone that can help you kind of pull the story together? That's how I tend to look at it is more from a lens of, um, is this worth you know, me making a better decision or a faster decision or just streamlining my operation um, as opposed to, I spent X amount on a data subscription. How the heck am I supposed to figure out, you know, what my ROI specifically on that was? I, I tend to point it back more towards um, how the business is, uh, what decisions you're making. Yeah, the the ROI game can become a, a job by itself, <laughs> trying to figure out and, and attribute everything back, that's for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, so then one, once you have the data that you need, um, so again, it sounds like you're in the middle of that that journey right now. Um, what are you what are you using to to maybe answer the questions? What are you doing with it, or if anything, um, to be able to to start getting some of the value out of out of the investment there? Yeah, I think um, there's always like the, the the aspect of reporting is you know here's kind of what's happened, um, and I think the the golden egg is always if you can try to predict or prescribe the future. Great, I would say we we are light years away from that of actually being able to use analytics uh, in that lens, uh, in that causal sense. Um, what I tend to use it for is is contextualizing, you know, how our business is running. So things like velocity. Um, of a certain product or a market, that is very helpful that you may not pick up in a month to month report that you just look at in an isolated vacuum. But suddenly when you start to build out a history, you can understand how things may be moving in a certain direction. And so um, I always tend to gravitate towards you, you shouldn't use data in a vacuum. It should always be contextualized with what are those external factors that may be impacting this? There may be things going on that you know are completely out of your control, but it's to your benefit or detriment. Um, and I think it's it's on the business side to really help contextualize that data because otherwise, I think you can get into that kind of false proxy of you think you may be doing something that's impacting it, but it's really this other thing that you're you have no control over. So. Um, I don't, again, I'm, I'm very green to this industry. And so um, I think fortunate skill set is, you know, I'm not the data scientist, but I can help pull some of this together. And then secondly, it's, it's how do you engage the right people in your business? So for me, on like the, the production side, I'm not the distiller. You know, I understand general mechanics of what's going on, but I really don't understand what's going on. And so for me, it's an opportunity if I can get um, a data set from our production process you know, I can put it together in a consumable fashion, but then it gives me an opportunity to go sit down with those people that truly understand our equipment and our process. Um, and I think that's where you really start to make an impact. Uh, it, it does no good to just try to do it in a vacuum. And same thing on the sales side. I don't know the distribution ins and outs, um, but I think I can help put some of that story together on paper. And then it's a great opportunity to sit down with the actual sales leaders of the company 
and understand, yeah, what the heck's going on out there. So, right. Yeah. That, that's one of the points I, I think people get scared about like analytics. Oh, is it going to take over my job? You see all the headlines. It's like, Oh, AI is going to take over jobs. Like that's maybe a very small fraction of how data and analytics get used almost all the time. It's supplemental. It's adding, adding to to people who understand the business. And there are plenty of examples and stories of people just using data and making, like you said, that wrong conclusion. And then you get led astray and then, then really bad things can happen because you're making incorrect actions if you just do it in that vacuum. So it's a great example. Cool. So we, we touched on this a, a little bit already, but from like quantifying the value, um, was there anything else that you wanted to add about kind of quantifying the value? So versus it wasn't really the ROI you're always looking for. Um, sometimes you kind of need to say, am I using this for, for a decision or not? Anything else you want to add on that? Yeah, I just, I think in our current climate, like I would encourage anybody that, um, you know, has opportunity to, to influence a business. I, again, I, I look at this as like a must have in this data driven world that we're living in. But um, it, it is it is power, I think, to to your decisions. And so um, I, I would not want to enter in any business venture without having some strategy around how are we going to amass and compile data in order to make better decisions. I, again, I, I view it as it, it's not a nice to have. It's not a consideration. It, it's a must have. And it doesn't always have to come with expense. You know, like I said, it, it could be something as simple as how you structure roles or processes on your team. And it doesn't matter if it's a long care cutting business or whatever else, but it's having that thought process ahead of time and how you structure your business in order to help answer some of those questions. And I think that's, again, the, the cool thing that someone like you, Jason, can do is it's not always about like putting a model on top of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of data points. Um, it's someone that just helps them put that thought thought mindset on around analytics, what it can do for their business, but then empower them to actually start to structure their business and their operation around that in order to answer those questions. Yeah, that's, um, yes. The, the, having an analytics mindset in your company is one of the biggest things that you can do because it's not that you can't just hire an analytics person or a company to help do it for you. It, it really is the, you need to have people's mindsets, mindsets start shifting. I think you even see it in like HR is a good example, an area I work in right now. You can have a great analytics team. People analytics is the new buzz term, but you need other areas of the function to still be able to help, help with that. Um, you can't just have an analytics team and, and say you've done analytics. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so then another maybe follow-up question. So when you think about using data, do you have any like rules of thumb you use for like speed of decision? So, hey, I could go down and, and really look into the data and analyze this, um, but it's going to take a long time versus, man, I really got to make this decision now. Do you have any kind of like frameworks or ways that you think about that? Yeah. Um... One thing I would say is I, I, I now in this environment of a relatively young distillery, and I would say it, it airs more towards like an entrepreneur type um, atmosphere. There are decisions every day um, and understanding what are the big decisions versus the not so big decisions, I think is, is super helpful. Um, and then, you know, I'm not a business owner, but, but I, I assume any, anyone that is truly as a business owner, they have even more decisions that they're trying to make each day. And so um, my kind of internal North star on that is, is what is the magnitude or impact of this potential decision? Um, and that will typically inform 
you know, what level of scrutiny that I may put over this or even what level of investment or digging or analysis that I'm willing to do on that. Um, and, you know, a good one, Jason, that we we're talking about earlier um, or, or offline is some of these control state markets where I have this PDF data and it's not really usable for me. Um, but what I can do is, is enlist services of someone like yourself to basically help inform some decisions of, you know, us getting into a different market and going into a different market. I think there's different ways that you can assess that opportunity and that competitive landscape. Um, and so those are some of the ways that I start to relate what the time, the level of effort, the investment is, um, what type of decision is it going to impact? Is it a, a $10 decision? Is it a bad hire of someone? Is it a new market opportunity? Or on the converse, is it something that I have my head in the sand on and, you know, our business is going to get upended? So um, I tend to try to relate some of the speed back to what the magnitude of the of the of the decision is awesome yeah that's almost verbatim like amazon has a really good um way that they view it is how easy is the decision to like revert um and and cost and and speed and and impact is all part of that obviously it's probably on different scales what what is a small impact to amazon is (laughs) maybe slightly different than a distillery um but yeah that's that's awesome so yeah, kind of moving into just some of the final thoughts. Um, what, what's some parting advice, one or two things that you'd have for, for business owners, people in, in smaller businesses who have to make decisions and, and when it comes to using data and analytics for decision-making? Yeah, I would say um, don't be scared by the term. You know, even if you're not a, a tech forward type of person, um, involve someone that has a general understanding of what the power of this is. And again, I would not look at that as someone that's necessarily going to, um, you you don't have to hire someone with uh, a data science background or even really oftentimes change a ton of what you're doing, but having someone that understands how data should be structured um, and what it may enable uh, for you as a business owner into your decision process, I think is is invaluable. So um, I would encourage people to look at it as, a core function of their business and their strategy should be um, how they're using data to make decisions. Um, And oftentimes that probably will require involving someone that's had a little bit of experience in the landscape. Um, I mentioned, you know, earlier in this call, we we had different forms of data being captured, but it, it, it again can be the smallest thing. Like I used an acronym this time instead of the full name and what that means downstream. And that doesn't have to like change someone's job significantly, but it can change the decision of a business owner significantly. And it, sometimes it just takes someone with, with a skill set like yours to help sit down and talk them through that. They might have all the, the pieces. They just have to have a, ma- a method to put it together. So um, again, I, I would encourage it to uh, not be scared by it, um, realize the power of it, and then definitely look to um, much like you, you have a, an attorney or, a, or a, an accountant on your team. I think someone with a, a data uh, skill set that can help inform where you should be going is a, is a critical part of your business. Awesome. And then lastly, uh, if people want to try your guys' spirits, uh, where, where can they go? Um, I'll assume most people from here are probably listening from Minnesota, but also kind of beyond that as well. Don't, don't sell yourself short, Jason. We're going to get this out there. Um, Minnesota, we are around in the Minnesota market, so you should find us in most of the major metro areas. Um, if not, you can find us on a platform called reservebar.com. 
Um, we've got our whiskey in about 18 states. And uh, the, the gin that we produce right now is in 24 states, but we also sell that overseas in the UK, which is pretty cool. Um, if you can't find our products, feel free to, to email info at dancinggoat.com. I'd be happy to uh, point you in the right direction. And then uh, Minnesota is not all that far from Madison. So if any folks decide to take a road trip, we'd, we'd love to see you out here. It's a, it's a pretty cool place. So definitely add, it is actually relatively popular for people to go to the Madison area since it's, okay. it can be really scenic and, and nice change of pace. So definitely yeah. and we'll put the resources in the, the description as well. So people don't have to frantically try and write it down. <laughs> awesome. on. Well, I appreciate the conversation, Sean. It's been, it's been fun. Likewise, Jason, best of luck on this new journey. I'm really excited for you. And uh, for anybody listening and my mention of find someone that's got this skill set, Jason's your guy. So holler at him. So appreciate it, John. I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I know I certainly did. I uh, just wanted to kind of wrap this up and, and share kind of my two main takeaways, um, one data related, one not data related. So on the, the not data related front, um, I think it was just really fascinating to learn more about kind of the, the spirits, the alcohol industry. I know at the beginning, we kind of talked about how it's how it's definitely booming. Um, I know if, if you're based in Minnesota, you've definitely seen this with the craft scene, the number of just craft breweries. It seems like every single town has at least one. Um, you see distilleries popping up a lot more as well so it, it is just a uh, interesting to be able to see kind of the other side of it how it gets made how it how it gets to um, where you're being served and then on more of the data front um, I, I love how Sean thinks about and talks about how data is is kind of one of those other things you you need to do within your business thinking about it from like an accounting perspective um, I know especially it's, it's interesting with Sean having some of the marketing background uh, return on investment or, or ROI is oftentimes like you need to have that to be able to get any justification for why you do something. Um, but where he he views it and kind of flips a little bit is is he knows that he's going to get some type of value out of it. So if he's able to see that, hey, I'm getting decision making um, abilities out of this and I'm able to improve that. Um, he's kind of saying like don't spend the time um on trying to calculate roi because you, you truly can spend hours upon hours upon hours of just trying to prove it when you could have taken a fraction of that time just to move forward um with kind of that data initiative so again a, a great conversation and something i really enjoyed i hope you did as well until next time